Down, down, down. Can you hobble? Hobble one foot, one foot. Okay, da? One foot. Let him, let him hobble on one foot. No, he cannot, he cannot. Okay, then just lift him up. Hold on, hold on. G'day legends, I hope that you're having a fantastic day. Now, today's podcast, this is a really good one with my friend Gibby, who served in Ukraine and will continue to serve further on as well. He talks about his unique experiences in Ukraine, fighting for different units and also in the right sector, and some unique experiences and perspectives he has had being a black man, serving then in the military there, and a former US Marine. So, Thank you, mate, so much for coming on and sharing so openly your stories, your experience with myself as well. And also, who'd like to give a tribute to Kilo, his friend who sadly lost his life in this war. Hey. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm doing well, and yourself? I'm really well, man. Uh, thanks thanks for um, sitting down with me and having a chat. Uh, no problem. No problem. Man. Thank you for inviting me on. Oh mate, no, no, I, I really appreciate um I really appreciate your time. Um look, I don't even know where we're gonna start, but uh, can we can we go back to I guess when you first I guess got into the military and what your experience is there? Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> so uh I'm no high speed low drag guy from like teams or anything crazy like that. Um, I was a former, I was an EMT before I got into the military. So I kind of already had like a little bit of a structure. Uh, and then I figured <laughs> I was going to be like, I wanted to be this high speed low drag dude. So I was like, I got to go to the toughest branch first. And then from there go into like other stuff. So my recruiter convinced me to go into <laughs> the Marine Corps, <laughs> uh, literally just by asking me hey do you want to be a seaman you want to be referred to as a seaman or you want to be the best of the best so you know my fucking 18 year old child brain was like yeah marines all the way so uh, i got in about 2014 uh, uh 2014 august october sometime then and I stayed in four years mostly. I started in UAS operations and then went to bulk fuel specialist. Spent most of my time in the military in Okinawa, Japan with a 9th Engineer Support Battalion and just grinded, man. It, it was kind of like the best of all worlds being in the Marine Corps because you're in an engineer battalion, you're constantly shooting weapons, you're constantly uh, going on ops. And then even though I wasn't a combat engineer, I still got to, you know, play with all the all the cool toys and qual on a bunch of weapons that like I had no business using or probably would have never used as a fielder. Yeah, man, that's that's wild. And did you did you deploy like operationally? Uh, I did not. Uh, it, being in uh, Okinawa, you're forward deployed, so you don't get any like cool campaign ribbons for going to uh, Korea, Australia. <laughs> so you just kind of get bounced around the, the island a bunch and like training in the island. And then when all the, the grunts come over from the states, they all get this cool Japan deployment ribbon. <laughs> yeah, right. Typ typical infantry shit, hey? <laughs> <laughs> and when did you leave? Uh, so I, I did my four years and got out. Uh, so I, I left the military about like 2019, uh, 2018. Yeah. And what, and, yeah. oh, sorry, you go. Oh, no, go, go ahead, man. I was just going to say, what were you doing between like then and then the start of, um, of the Ukrainian conflict? 
<laughs> uh, building and shooting guns mostly. Uh, I did a lot of, I bounced kind of like place to place. I can really find like what I wanted to be at home. One of those dudes who's like master of all trades or jack of all trades, master of none. So I started off uh, doing nothing and then just shooting all day. And my buddies were like, you, you need to get a job. <laughs> so I went and uh, became a uh, insurance claim specialist for uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield for a little bit. Nice. And from there, went to <laughs> uh, what's all working construction with a couple of my buddies uh, to a smaller constru- uh, went from a large con- construction company, Balfour Beatty, to a smaller construction company in the like local area. And I just realized I hated doing all of that. So <laughs> I, my buddy called me up and was like, hey, you're you know how to shoot shit. You know how to train people to shoot shit. Comes these Ukrainians out of shoot shit. Yeah. Fuck, man. That's I'm I, sorry. I didn't know if you wanted me to jump that far ahead, but yeah, that's pretty much what I was doing. That's wild, man. And what did you what did you think when the war first kicked off? Like on the 24th of Feb, what what did you sort of think about it then? Uh so funny enough, I was in the airport headed to Las Vegas to go see an ex girlfriend when the war kicked off. Oh, shit. Like when the first, yeah, when like, uh, what's all, like when all the first news came in, I was like, damn, like Russia's at it again. You know, it isn't the first time they've invaded Ukraine. Uh, they did it during the Obama era, and they did it before Ukraine was truly established as Ukraine under peacekeeping and microaggressions over like the last couple of years. And I remember reading something about the Azov Battalion and the like a couple of years ago and how they were holding Russia like at the border and having sniper battles and artillery battles and stuff every, every so often. Yeah. Um, I, but, I, I think yeah, you no, might've had the most dangerous mission on that day, mate. I think, I think, I think the, some of the Russian troops had a safer mission than fucking you going to Vegas with an ex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was, it's interesting, uh, to say the least. Like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I mean, I knew the U.S. wasn't going to truly get involved because uh, they hadn't been getting involved for a while, uh, especially with all of the drama and stuff we have going on with our military. I just loved it, and I was like, man, I hope Ukraine succeeds. I didn't really have a, very much faith in them at the time. Yeah. So when was it that your mate, you know, called you up um, and was like, hey, Let's let's fucking go. Ah, uh, shoot! This would probably be like the like mm, the end of March. Like, yeah, I think it was March twenty eighth, March 29th. He was like, "Hey, man, I'm going to Ukraine. I've got this unit that wants a bunch of foreigners to come in and train their guys. Like, they're not they're going to get a special forces contract." They're not high speed, low drag at all. <laughs> They're gonna get fucked. These dudes can't shoot. <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, man, I have no problem coming in and like on a contractual basis, like just training these guys. And, you know, maybe you know, sneak off to the front lines and see what's going on there and what we could do better and what we could be training them better." But I was like, I wasn't really interested in getting it all involved in the actual conflict. Um. So he called me out uh, out here. I showed up. 
it was literally just me. Like <laughs> the, he was him and another buddy of mine had been here for um, at that point they hadn't been here for a couple of months, but when I got here they'd been here for a couple of months. Uh, so I ended up dropping in in maybe like June, July ish. Yeah, no. Nice. I will say it is the most awkward thing in the entire world to navigate around Ukraine as a black guy, except in Kiev. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like talking like I I've experienced overseas, so like getting place to place isn't really the hardest thing in the world. I mean, everybody you know has Google Translate app on their phone, so it's not super hard to communicate. Like every now and then, if you're trying to like say something military with the app, it's a little, but getting around was easy once I got to Kiev. And then as soon as I got outside of Kiev, everyone was like, oh, Black Americanski. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how was that? How, was it was it just out of like, oh, like, you know, we haven't seen someone, you know, or, you know, we don't often see someone with different skin color, or was it like, a racial like was it just be just someone learning like oh wow he's different to actually racism do you do you was there any like of oh, that yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not one of those like blm kind of guys so like i find it like hilarious because like i said i lived overseas in japan for almost like three four years mm. so i'm used to like <laughs> i'm used to there being a couple of other black people i didn't realize how like how much of a gap there was in Ukraine between like the amount of not just black people, but foreigners in general yeah. and pretty much the entire, like outside of like Kiev, Lviv and Odessa, like you see a black person, like in a small town, they're just like, I, I can't believe this. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you, are you here to help us fight in the war? Like you're going to blend in so well at night. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. And did and did you ever did you ever come across like any like legitimate like racism towards you? Ooh. See that that's actually a hard one. Um I I don't really think in terms of like, oh, this person doesn't like me because of the because of my race. So yeah. it's this person doesn't like me because I'm a foreigner, mm. uh, is generally what you come across. Uh some Ukrainians um, whether they're in the war and outside the war, like whether you're on the battlefield or not, just don't like foreigners. And they think that the foreign involvement here is part of the reason that they're like, they're suffering the way that they are. Uh, and other ones are, will like drop down to their knees, like thanking you being like, thank you for, for coming here and helping us. Thank you for giving us the knowledge that you have and the training that you have or applying your skills where, where they can be applied on the battlefield. Just depends on where you're at, what unit, I mean, you you know how it is. Uh, the A's office how you would never take a, a black foreigner. <laughs> so <laughs> foreigners are, are hard enough to get in by themselves. Like um, I will say, I've had haven't had experience. Oh, sorry, I've experienced racism from foreigners more than I have from Ukrainians. Right, and over is, here, yeah, and is there that more like right sector people. sort of guys? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, any country that has, like, not, like, Soviet, or I won't even call it Soviet, but Nazi symbology, like, ingrained in their culture, whether it's correctly ingrained or incorrectly ingrained, um, it'll draw the the types of people who, you know, live for that stuff. They're like, oh, like, I I was a part of this Nazi battalion, 
uh, which ironically, the first uh, the first group I trained out here is called the right sector. And they literally, they're not Nazis in the way that people think of like typical Nazis, but they are not, they want Ukraine to be a national socialist country. They, they don't want foreign invol- involvement or foreign politics. They were definitely grateful for the training. Uh, they had someone come out and like politically be like, hey, I know he is a black man and he is training you guys, but he is just as much Ukrainian as the rest of us. Because if he's willing to fight, die and bleed in Ukraine, then that's a Ukrainian to me. And like all the guys are like sitting around the, the fire going, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> you are no longer black Americanski, you are black Ukrainian Konsky. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know about all that, guys. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's pretty wild, man. Um, like I, I I can obviously you know you're 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 an army guy, like or military guy. I shouldn't say army or marine. Um, but um, but I, I guess you've got fairly thick skin, um, as all as all bloody uh, military men need to. Um, so you may not you know pick up on it as much. But yeah, it is interesting that you say things like you know the, that Azov Battalion would definitely not take um, like a, like a black foreigner. Um, did you ever have a run in with like with them? Like, did you ever come across them in the wild somewhere? Uh, yeah, in in the very beginning, not so much now. Um, Azov, I, I don't know how much you know about Azov, I mean, but they've been a lot different of a group. And after Zelensky had told them to stand down uh, in the factory district that was under attack, yeah, so oh, it's they, definitely changed. Yeah. Yeah, the it's not the the same leadership structure, and they definitely don't. They're a lot more secretive now than they they were before. So even if someone is in the Azov Battalion, they may not tell you that they're in the Azov Battalion. Right, uh, or in an Azov Battalion. Yeah, and you you mentioned like you know there's a you know um you you to quote yourself you said like ingrained Nazi symbology. Uh, how much of that did you see, and, and what was your thoughts towards it? Was your thought that it's just something else, or was it a bit of a shock? Or like, what do you see towards that, and how common was it? Uh, so it's crazy that you mentioned this because I uh, hopefully my parents never hear this, but uh, they pretty much know how I feel anyway. Um, I'm one of those people where I don't care what what the other person does. Like if, if you want to. <laughs> If my gay neighbors have a weed farm and want to shoot full auto guns in their backyard, they can. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, but I'm the same way when it comes to people who have uh, religious beliefs or ideological beliefs that they're they're better or they're they're stronger, faster. Like, if there's there's just as much. <sighs> Sorry, I got to think about how I want to say this, but um. Yeah, it, it doesn't bother me. It's I've run I've come across people who had like Nazi symbology tattooed on them or on their gear, and I'm like, you're entitled to feel how you feel. Like it's I I could care less. Do you do you want to learn what I can teach you or not? Like there's a very famous guy out here who I ran into who on the phone I I sound very much like a white person. I part of Catholic school upbringing, I guess. <laughs> so, the um what's up this person was talking to me on the phone like he was like i just want you to know like i'm the resident nazi of the group um yeah like you're not going to change how i feel and he he's singing like he's talking to another white person and then he met me in person like 
about a month or so later, uh, you're doing paperwork for another unit he was joining. And I like turned to him and I'm like, do you recognize my voice? <laughs> and he's like, nah. And our unit had two black guys, which was super rare. And he's like, oh, you're the black guy in the unit, right? And he's like, the and named the other black guy. And I was like, no, you haven't met me yet. I was like, I'm the guy you were talking to on the phone. I was like explaining that you were a Nazi. I was like, you can, do you, you can feel whatever you feel, man. I was like, just as long as you can operate in the field, I can give a fuck less what you believe. Like, just don't shoot me in the back. Because <laughs> I was like, I, I make sure that everybody else on the team knows if I get shot by someone on my own team. Like, shoot that person. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Sorry, up. I know that was, that was very long-winded. Um, but based to say that, um, or what I wanted to do was basically just, you know, it, what, it's whatever you believe, man. Like, I, I'm not here to change your belief. I'm here to tell you how to fight correctly so that you don't die. Yeah. Oh, mate. And as, as an instructor, that's, I guess that's your job. Your job isn't to try and, you know, you're not there as trying to instill your own ideology. It's you're there to, you're there to train. And a lot of people out here, like, especially when they haven't experienced like any actual black culture, like we're not every black person's a gangster. Not every black person is like, is a Chicago black guy or typical Chicago black guy. I'd say some of like a, mo- a majority of people are just normal people. We have to get roped up in this thing that people say is black culture or some like people who follow Nazi beliefs aren't horrible people. They just got roped up in uh, what these other people believe in their Nazi beliefs. And so you got to give some to get some. I've had some people be like, you know, I, I didn't like black people before I met you. And, you know, I didn't realize that I just didn't know enough black people to, to be like, Oh, you're a cool dude. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it's it's, in, it's it's very interesting, but I think I think there is a difference between you know like um, just being you know just oh yeah like I'm a black guy I can't help that you know I just am I'm just a regular person as as we should treat everyone no matter their skin color or um, religious whatever but but when it's a ideology that is I guess as serious as that and has you know real implication especially like you know you're a you're a former marine. Um, you know, of what, what the, what it, the, the Marines fought against, um, that, um, specifically it, 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 I guess there's a bit more of a clash there than some other things. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've only ever had, had a conversation once with you, Ukrainian, uh, about it, uh, like a serious conversation where it was like, I had to pull one of the guys aside and I was like, Hey, listen, like while we're training on the range, like I don't care. Like I don't care about like general patches, but I was like, you got a giant swastika painted on the back of your helmet. I was like, (laughs) I was like, so I was like, I I just want you to explain to me like why you thought that was a good style choice. Like what made you think of putting the, the giant swastika there? And he turned to me and he was like, I, he was like, I'm myself. He was like, I like this. Who? He was like, this isn't my, like my belief. He was like, this was my brother's helmet. And my brother was a, a part of the Azov battalion and died. And then I was like, I kind of felt a little bit like, like, oh shit. Like I, I, now I got to tell this kid that like a helmet that his brother painted the swastika on, he can't wear into combat. And luckily, my translator was kind of quick on his feet, and he was like, well, he was like, just while you're on the range, like, do you mind covering it? 
And he was like, absolutely. He was like, I didn't even think twice about it. He was like, because no one else here would have said anything to me. But I mean, when the group that you're training says Slava Miyatsu every morning, like, I guess you should kind of expect at least one swastika or SS symbol. <laughs> right. So, so the group would say in Slava Nazi, so like glory to the Nazi every morning. Yeah. Fuck man, yeah, I don't know uh, how you, I don't know how I don't know how I'd deal with that because I'd, I'd be like, "Fuck!" Like, is is the enemy? Am I enemy? My friend? Like, how far does that? How far does that go? Like, you know. Like, you know, it wasn't that long ago in Europe and the Nazis were committing crimes against humanity of ungodly scale. And now it's, you know, it's, it's very interesting. But at the, I guess the way that I look at it is there's a war going on, right? If we did what we do in America and we bet everybody for their individual beliefs, we would be here all day to find 10 people who would be willing to fight. There's people who I know in war who are fighting the war because they want Ukraine to be free. They think Zelensky is just as corrupt as the last person, or that Zelensky did nothing to fix the corruption. There's people who I know who here who think that Zelensky is is God. Uh, one of my my buddy, one of my buddies out here, uh, one of the best guys I know, like is the one person from Ukraine who's actually met my father and my family. Uh, he was like. Yeah, he was like that. Sometimes you have to separate politics and, and profession. And he was like, I, I can teach you to shoot, move, and communicate all day, but if I choose not to shoot, teach you to shoot, move, and communicate because of what you believe in here, then we're going to be stuck here, like with five people who have the same exact beliefs as me. And for a small team, that's perfectly fine. But for a large scale, like warfare, like it's happening right now. You don't know what the guy who you hop into the trench next to you believes. I mean, they he could be game, smoke weed, and you know you just gotta have to accept the fact that that you're gonna have to rely on that person, whether you knew him for five minutes or fifteen years. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I, can, I completely understand that. And um, oh, what was I was gonna ask. I, I had a good question lined up, and then I, I, my brain absolutely we just went went to absolute. Um, fucking mush what i was going to say sorry was a lot of guys tell me like they're like oh, i've never come into contact with anything i've never seen any right-wing stuff never nothing in ukraine who have been fighting there and stuff do you do you think that's just sort of glossing over some things uh you you'll see it if you're if you're looking for it or if they want you to see it right. is, is what i'll say for that my Sorry, I, I hate being so long-winded on these questions, man. <laughs> uh, damn, I was about to go somewhere pretty good with that one, too. Um, so I, I was going to say the funniest part of that, that whole story, which I <laughs> – is we ended up getting fired from that unit as instructors. Um, they The only way they could keep us with the unit and still, like, push forward was for us to take on, like, military contracts with them. Right. And – the, they were going to get paid extra for their unit. I think most foreigners who are fighting here know this, but they get paid extra, like depending on what foreigners they have. They can also like lobby for, uh, based on what our qualifications are for different types of equipment. So they, <laughs> uh, after, there were like 12 of us who were instructing, and they decided that out of the 12 of us, they only wanted three of us. Uh, our translator, uh, one of the British guys we were working with, and me <laughs> and someone was like 
I don't think these Nazis are very good at their job because they chose the black guy to stay. <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, it is what it is. It's, um, I'm not too worried about it. Like, I, I don't get going into a hissy fit. We, if you can shoot, move, and communicate at the end of the day, man, that's all I care about. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And there's been people, um, people are, uh, speculate before that, you know, with these like far nationalist groups, could there be problems whenever the war ends and Ukraine wants to like sort of westernize, you know, move towards NATO and the EU? Um, and that sort of that model, I guess, could there be pushback there from internally of like, no, 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 we want to be, you know, we're nationals. We want to be our own, under our own entity rather than, I guess, these EU, NATO stuff that, that you know, the, the rest of Europe, well, not the rest, but sort of the EU has almost like a bit more of a left stance than some of that very far, like, right sector. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. That there, there's absolutely going to be. That's, that's the beauty of, <laughs> of a war is you create, like, hard times are already created. You're going to have, like, the hard dudes after the war who don't agree with the government, who may not get the pensions that they wanted or the, the health care that they wanted. They will rise up and form their own groups. Now, depending on how the current government or the government that's in place at the end of the war decides to handle that, that could set NATO like 15 years more before they uh, was all big. That could set them back like 15, 20 years to being able to join NATO. It's it's a political game at the end of the war to figure out like what group is truly going to be in charge. And it's based off of who's who's left alive and who's left alive strongest. I mean, you got to remember, they, they've armed these guys now. That's that was a choice the government made. It's really easy to give people weapons. It's really hard to take them away. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've, I've I've speculated on this on this exactly before that you know these these battalions were this was one thing before this war. You know, of these like far right sector, you know, with AKs and some older weapons and stuff. And now you're going to have groups like this with absolutely modern weapons, modern training, modern anti armor systems that. It, it could be a real struggle for power. Like if Russia would pull back now, where the country goes, well, you've got all these units that have risen up that, well, they might have a different idea of where it actually goes. Yeah, I've been running into a bunch of people who've been like, this war could be over in a week. And I'm like, no, 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 my God. <laughs> Even if Russia decided like they were going to pull back right now, they're still going to be these like, even now, the or the the military on the front line is so fractured. It's one military group controls this place. One military group controls that place. And yeah, we all may be wearing the same uniform, but that doesn't mean that every single one of those commanders is fighting the same on the front line or has the same ideologies on the front line. They can be told by the government, "Don't, don't, uh, what's all? Don't chase the Russians back into Russia." That's not going to stop half of these groups from doing that if that's what their commander decides to do. If they are loyal to, they're loyal to their commanders on the front line. They're not loyal to the, the Ukrainian government. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And do you have you come across like any, I guess, more like on the pro-Russian side or like any like Russian spies within the ranks? Uh so that is my biggest fear, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a ridiculous fear to have, like in the middle of a war. But 
like I said, I'm, I'm black. So wherever I go on the front line, even in the rear, I stand out, uh, which is why a lot of teams were saying that they didn't want to work with me. They were like, just going to go eat someplace with you. Like someone snaps a picture and, you know, the place gets blown up the next day. Be prepared to accept blame for that. But, and, and I understand where some of them are coming from. So we do try and like do things to like mitigate how much of a presence I have uh, in certain areas. Um, but yeah, as, as it pertains to the, to the question, I've, I didn't run across somebody who was not a crazy person who was pro Russian. Uh, but I have had people say like, Hey, that person who, who was over there, who, who's going to try and talk to you. Don't, don't talk to him. He's, he's not for, uh, what's all, he's not for Ukraine. He is, he's, he's Russian. He's a crazy person. And then we just do our best to either leave the area or mitigate it. I did have a Frenchman tell me not to wear the Ukrainian flag though. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, he was, he was super pissed. He was like, Oh, he was like, why, why do you wear Ukrainian flag? And we're like, because we're here fighting for Ukraine. <laughs> like, why wouldn't we? It's like, uh, it's the same reason I've got the American flag on my jacket too. Like, I, I'm willing to fight for America if the day ever comes to it. Yeah. Fucking Frenchman, and, mate. He'd have a white flag on his chest, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, wild, mate. Yeah. Oh, it is it's a very interesting, and this is why I really appreciate like your time. Like it's it's a very interesting like dynamic um, coming because like if I go there, I'm just a blue blue eyed white dude. Like you, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, people have a completely different experience in the world, um, and especially somewhere like like this. Um, so so, oh, I'm I'm glad you like you're very open and honest about it, man. Um, like cheers for that. Uh, I mean, it's it's something that you have to come to grips with. I can either spend my whole life hating the world for something that I can't change or being hated by the world for something I, can, I can't change, or I can just accept it what it is and know that, like, if three or four of, of my, my white friends show up to a unit, like, they're not going to have the same issues in the unit that I'm going to have. They're not going to have the same fears in the unit that I'm going to have. And sometimes that works out for me because I end up being the vigilant person, the one who's like, hey, let's plan to do this this way because that way it'll mitigate how, how often we spend in an area or how many of us are going to an area to do something. Uh. And, and other times it'll be the, like, my friends will be like, oh, I'll just come to the strip club. And then I'll have the one of the core commanders call me and be like, you were at the strip club last night, Doc. <laughs> like, uh, and he was like, no, 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 no. I, I know you were at strip club last night. <laughs> I was like, sorry? <laughs> and he's like, there is a picture of you in strip club. <laughs> Very nice stripper next to you. <laughs> be careful in strip club. <laughs> and then he's up and I'm like... I, I don't know how to respond to that. I guess we're not going to the strip club again, boys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. It's, 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 it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild, like, um, it's a wild perspective on it all, man. When I have perspective, like this wild, like how you've seen it through your eyes and like, yeah, it's, it's very different to, to the usual, um, experience. Yeah. And so to digress a little bit, what, what then happened? You know, you, you, um, got selected to con continue training with that group and then, uh, you joined the um, International Legion and picked up in the GUR. Um, 
What then happened from there with, with like, you going to the front lines, you fighting and onwards? Um, so I won't say it was a, it was a rash decision uh, to run to the Legion. Uh, we realized that – so there was a conversation that was had after we had decided that we were going to stay, and they essentially wanted to – they were like, hey, we've got some good guys who were like, who know what they're doing and they're coming back. And they were like, you can join their team, but like, you're going to be the lowest person on the team. And I was like, okay, you know, like, I don't, that I don't mind. And then they were like, but you're not going to have, like, you, you can't do anything. Like, you can't have your apartment that you had in Paris school. They were like, you can't have, uh, was all like you can't have your own personal vehicle like you are basically confined to the base anytime that we're not doing an operation why is that uh they wanted to mitigate how much of my presence was like around from who though like 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 why mitigate your like i know you might stand out because you're a black guy in a you know primarily white country but was it out of fear of like someone targeting you or something being targeted photos like what exactly was it uh i think it was more of yeah i, I never really thought too much into it but i, I think it was more of like they were they were essentially trying to protect me from anybody targeting me or trying to follow my movements to track where the battalion was going right no, that makes and again, sense. Uh, something where I like at the time, I guess, like I, I was a little bit perturbed about it, but I wasn't. I like I didn't hate them for the decision. I was just like, eh, if I don't have my own autonomy and freedom, then um, like, and they're like, oh, but in the U.S. military, like you don't have your own autonomy and freedom. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> you guys don't know that much about the U.S. military. Like, if I want to get drunk on a Wednesday, I just go get drunk on Wednesday. <laughs> Not saying that's that's what I did, but. You know, we were all young at one point, but I was like, I, I like you could have your own vehicle. You could have like you could do what you essentially need to do. And I was like, as long as there's you show up to work and you show up on time, like no one has a problem. And Burisville isn't too far from Kiev, so I would have been in an area where I could easily like blend in as a college student if I needed to, and then only pop pop into the units when we had to actually go work. But they didn't see it the same way, so we ended up uh, parting our ways. And uh, one of my buddies was like, "Let's go to the Legion and go to the front line and do UAS and drone stuff." And since I had some experience in drones from when I was in the military and before I switched over to Bull Fuels, I was like, "Yeah, I'm 100 percent for it. Like, let's let's go." <laughs> so we got to the Legion, and they. After uh, testing us, like they, they had, a, there was only two of us who were going into the Legion that month. So we got the full treatment of like, oh, let's see what you guys can do. Oh, run a plan and run a, min a mini operation to go do recon in this area, the training, uh, the training area. So we showed them what we can do. We showed them what our capabilities were. Me and this the other guy I was working with were like, uh, he goes by judge, but we, we were like, one brain cell so like we just got to just fit together uh or one brain unit <laughs> we just fit together and so we we showed them like we had the capability of understanding to be able to operate with limited uh oversight on the front lines and show them like how we would get gather intel without having to put our own selves like in direct danger and they thought it was it was brilliant 
and they ended up attaching us to the 59th Mechanized Infantry uh, under a gore. It was a gore unit, but it had other guys who had come through in the Legion as well. They kind of leaned on the Legion just a little bit because they had lost, like, it was one of the original 50-50 units, if anybody who's listening, or I'm pretty sure you know what that means. <laughs> oh, I actually don't. What's the 50-50 unit? Uh, so 50-50 units are kind of like a, they're a mix between, like, their special forces and regular, like, regular people units. So regular conscripts were coming in on the Ukrainian side as well. So there's generally a 50% casualty rate for most of their missions. Like these are the guys who go in like assault tree lines, but they don't have the personnel or sometimes even the, the functioning weaponry to do it. Oh, fuck. I, I, I get brought. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it's a term that's been like being thrown around in Ukraine. There's a unit that's actually called 5050, which is their, their unit sign. And then there were a group of units in the very beginning where it was like, Hey, they're sending you to this unit because they have a 50% casualty rate. Like hope you get your affairs in order before you go there. And between the foreigners, we all knew which units were which, and we'd talk to each other and figure out what's going on. Uh, but we showed up to this unit uh there's a lot of guys who are very famous now from that unit who had literally came in with no experience and then they just figured out like this is what works this is how i stay alive and that's how they were doing it that's generally how we operated it wasn't a uh like we had to answer to someone at the end of the day but we generally didn't have to answer to someone amongst ourselves it was if two people were willing to leave the OP to go do like some short range reconnaissance on an area we or a tree line, then two of us would just look at each other and be like, all right, we're going to go fucking do this. Like, <laughs> let's go. Uh, but the Ukrainians generally will hit their OP. And then if they can't see it from their OP, they're not worried about it. They're counting like the, the amount of mortars or the ar- amount of artillery that they hear, they're guesstimating whether there's a tank based on like the impact or what they're firing. They're guessing whether their tubes are like their tubes are good. We actually went on a mission where they said like, oh yeah, like they, they haven't been resupplied in a month. Like they're going to be out of mortars by tomorrow. And I'm like, dude, these guys are getting impacts within six inches of like what they're trying to hit which was like our foxholes we had dug into the side of the op mm. i'm like these are brand new mortar tubes bro <laughs> 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 you don't get this accurate consistently i'm talking about like i looked to the left there was an explosion i looked to the right there was an explosion and if i had been laying like straight across it would have hit between where my head and my feet were jesus I literally actually, I, I even forgot about this. Uh, there's a, a German kid out here uh, who is a paramedic. Uh, I, and he and I, my uh, squad leader, uh, Finn, great guy. Uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to Bryce again, ask him about him. Dude's, dude's nuts. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll accept just about any mission you throw at him. And genuinely, like, doesn't seem like he has a plan, but has something going and it's just if you stick with him you stay alive and it's generally people who branch off from him who get killed very quickly might just be the luckiest thing i've ever met uh he's so we're sitting in this foxhole we're getting fucking just bombarded fucking mortars artillery and he goes 
fucking A, the doc's not in a fucking hole. <laughs> and I'm like, tell him to get in a hole. And he was like, he's not going to hear me. I got to run over to him and let him know. Pops out of the fucking hole. Like, we're still getting mortared, our hole specifically. Runs over to the dock and goes, get in a fucking hole. So the dock <laughs> runs to the hole he just came out of and jumps in the hole backwards. So it's like, we're knees to knee at this point. Like, there's he's not fully in the hole. Because, <laughs> you know, like, unless you're sitting in the person's lap, like, you're, you're not in the hole. So I'm watching the mortars hit behind him, like maybe like three, four feet off from this hole. Jesus. And I'm just like, I don't know how we're not getting smacked with shrapnel right now. Like we're getting, it was kind of like soft dirt on the side of this mountain. So it's like, they're leaving craters, they're kicking up dirt, but for whatever lucky reason, we're just not taking shrapnel at that moment. Uh, So one lands like, I'm talking about like, this dude's ass crack (laughs) and like just sits backwards and just doesn't go off and i donkey kicked this kid out of the hole and i'm like move to a different hole and (laughs) we just start hauling ass and hopping like a baseball slide into this hole that's got like three ukrainians laying on top of each other in it definitely nailed one in the back of the kevlar (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just like laying in their hole with them there's like now five of us in this hole and i'm just like Sorry, boys. It was getting a little sketchy over there. <laughs> we go back to the hole and the next mortar. Uh, I don't know if it was the next one or the, or the one after it, but Finn was like, he runs over and he's like, give me, give me. And I'm like, I'm like, what's up, bro? And he was like, oh, you weren't in the hole anymore? And I was like, nah, we moved. And he was like, a mortar landed in the hole, bro. <laughs> we go inside and sure enough, there's like a six inch piece of metal sticking out of one of my bags that were just outside the hole. And I'm just like, Damn. <laughs> I probably would have been fine, but uh our our medic wouldn't have been fine. <laughs> that, yeah, that, good times, great people. Sorry, man, I didn't mean to go on a on a super wild tangent. Mate, no, 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 no. Don't not at all. Trust me. I'm the fucking king of going out on um tangents, man. Like any tangent is um is great. Just yeah, never feel like you're you're talking too much shit, man. I, I appreciate it the stories and shit like that are, are, are awesome man like you know bits and pieces like that need to be need to be told and like remembered man because it's just crazy in like in modern warfare for things like this yeah I, I will say a lot of people uh have come over here and been like oh you know like I've got friends who want to come, but they were just a Humvee driver in, in the military. It's Motor T. Uh, they were just heavy equipment. And I'm just like, it, if you've got the skills and capability like to be able to operate in high stress, like we didn't essentially get to choose all of our jobs in the military. So you may never know if that person who was AG might be the the high speed low drag dude of the unit who might have the ideas and the the mentality to get things done so it's just as long as you can find a group of guys who are willing to work out here that's that's generally what i say like let's fucking do it (laughs) no man no it's very true It's, it's fucking cool um how how much like combat did you actually come across were you were you like in shootouts with the russians as well uh, yes, yeah, so our unit, uh, we, we did get in a firefight with the Russians occasionally. Uh, it's not the same way that uh, some of these other units did. We were really good at 
moving around our OPs without being seen. And the area we were moving in, we knew where the groups of enemies were already. So there was a town just outside of Mikolaev, like that had been captured and most of the locals had left the town. Uh, but th- there were a few that were that stood behind and the Russians had taken over like the buildings in that in their village and taken over the buildings in a village about a click from them. So we would run into like their just basic patrols. Like it, these guys weren't even really looking around to see if there was other people. It, most of them were probably just moving gear from one place to another, moving personnel from one place to another. Uh, I don't know if you ever talked to your uh, fucking nuts, Yuri. Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, but uh, he was a part of the same unit I was in. So what they would do is they would drive in with their uh, with their Humvees and like drop Madu's fire in like a specific area or specific building, depending on where they thought people were, and then they would pull out. And whatever the next day, like we we'd be out there like watching from the OP. And we'd see anybody who was in that building that they were trying to move, and we'd just start firefights with them. Uh, craziest firefight I ever got into was with a sniper, though. Uh, it wasn't really a good day for him, but it wasn't really a good day with us. For us either. We brought four machine guns to specifically take out this, like, sniper's nest. And we weren't, we weren't sure if there was one person in this building or, like, ten people in this building. And what, what would end up happening is, like, we would start taking like really accurate fire like and we would essentially be like hiding behind like the edge of this this hill like trying to shoot 450 meters or so to hit this building and hit a very specific window in this building which with four machine gunners is is not as easy as you would think especially when you don't have modern optics or capabilities that like of an m240 bravo like we were using an mg42 uh pkm and I think someone had the, uh, oh man, I can't remember the name of it. It's like the AK version. Uh, it's like the long barrel AK. Like an RPK? RPK. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the most accurate thing we had. But when you put like 600 rounds through that thing, it starts to get really hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we actually forge welded one of the barrels to <laughs> the machine gun. Totally destroyed that thing. Because uh, I had tried to explain to the rest of the guys that were with us, like, if you don't change out those barrels, like, you're going to fuck those guns. And that's like, what we ended up doing. We ended up leaving with ammo because none of the machine guns would function. Uh, but, yeah, so we we ended up getting this firefight with a, with a sniper and or the sniper nest. And as soon as we thought, like, we took this dude out, and we stopped shooting and we're waiting to like get the good to go to evac. We saw like eight dudes come out the back of this building. So now we're at like 450 meters, like eight games, like on the side of the hill, trying to hit these dudes through the back of the building. It's crazy. Jesus. And did you kill but anyone? As for like close, we never had any like super close range firefights. Uh, not, none of our firefights were something that like we weren't prepared for. Like, like they were controlled essentially. It was like, we know these guys like are, are moving this way. And we, just, we would just shoot and hope we hit what we were aiming at. Uh, a few of us had brought our own optics. So we were a lot more accurate than what the rest of the guys that were in this unit were. Uh, we're doing, but they just mostly had stock AKs unless they were part of the Humvee teams uh, that were going out with Yuri. 
Yeah, right. And, and yourself, have have you you know killed any any of the any of the Russians? Uh so nothing confirmed. We've had firefights where we went and checked on bodies afterwards. I, I don't know. If I'm not specifically killed killed anyone, but just yeah. shoot and move. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's literally like, what we were doing. Yeah, and and with the Russians, was were they? Like, how was their capability? Were they decent soldiers? Was their artillery good? Like, what was your take on at least the ones you'd fought? Uh, so the mortar teams are, they're good. They're a lot better than I thought they would be. Like, these, everyone likes to talk about the Russians, like they're stupid and slow, but they're not. Like, you have, in the beginning, I think it was like a, seven minute window is what they were saying was the time between when the drone would fly over versus when the mortars or artillery would start dropping on you. We, the group we were going up against, uh, some people say they were Spetsnaz and BDB. Uh, we knew they weren't just general conscripts. Like these guys were a lot more organized than what the general Russian conscripts were. Uh, these dudes would fly a drone over us and in less than a minute they would have like accurate fire on wherever we were at right and it was it was crazy uh a lot of recon you, you don't want to be seen or rosvika is what they call it out here so we've we've been shot at by by armor uh so your question was uh about like actual like uh us getting into actual firefights and stuff and we've got into a lot of anti-armor stuff we didn't really get into like personnel firefights only when they would ask us to come do uh what's all to come on their like assault missions when they were taking tree lines and stuff and after the first one i was like this is not what i want to do like this is way too unorganized and just sending waves of guys through tree lines like well i'll let the ukrainians handle that <laughs> there's some foreigners who love it but I, that just wasn't it wasn't my bread and butter and i was like i I can't see this being like a sustainable way of fighting. So I just, if we didn't have to participate in assault, like as a QRF team or something, I just let the the other guys handle assault missions. Yeah. And with that, with, I guess, the sustainability of fighting, from what you have seen, you know, is Russia taking significantly more casualties than, than Ukraine or is it 50-50 or is it Ukraine taking more than, than Russia? 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 I can't talk. Ooh. This is a very interesting conversation, and it was going to lead into something that I was going to bring up later. So, a lot, I'm not a huge uh, interview guy. I know I'm as well spoken and everything. Uh, but the main reason I wanted to talk to you and, uh, and Matt specifically was because there was, a, there was a former U.S. Army captain out here, uh, Kilo. Yep. And I, I won't give his his actual name, but he goes he goes by Kilo. And one of the teams out here is called RTK Recon Recon Team Kilo. And part of the reason why, like the reason I look at the war the way I do now, and the sustainability of the troops is because of what happened to him. Uh, if you don't mind, can I go into telling that story and then I'll answer your question mm. a little bit afterwards? It'll be answered in the story, mate. I'd I'd love you to. Okay. Um, so Kilo, uh, I ended up meeting him like very, 
early in when he first came into uh, Ukraine. Like this is, this is like his third day in Ukraine. I'd already been here for like almost three months. So I, I knew a, just a little bit more than him uh, because of the group I was training and a little bit more of what was going on. Uh, but I ended up meeting him at the Legion uh, and we kind of just like hit it off like right away. I mean, I'm, I'm a gun dude. He was a gun dude. So it was like, <laughs> we start talking guns. It's like, I don't care if you, if you're a seven, six, two AK guy, or if you're a five, five, six AR guy, or if you're weird like me and you got to build your own like mutant <laughs> and have a seven, six, two AR. <laughs> um, like we gun guys just tend to hit it off out here. So like he he knew what he was doing uh, when it came to tactics. Uh, I just think he was a lot more administrative than he was like combat. Uh, he was he was honest, just like I was. Like, hey, no previous combat experience. Like, uh, I've trained a lot. I'm over overqualified, under experienced, and uh, yeah, we ended up in in the same unit they had left to go to the unit a little bit before us. So they kind of gave us a heads up when we got there, like what to expect. Uh, just, they have been at the Legion for, I think almost like a week longer than we had. Uh, so we ended up in the same unit as them and we went on a couple of missions together. Uh, consi- oh, more than a couple. We consistently went on missions together and over time, like we, we just kind of developed a bond. Like we were cool. We had two different, ways of going about the war he wanted to fight the war like more of the american style and not more of like let's just guerrilla warfare this shit like why do we need to to go into a tree line and have a firefight in the tree line if we know there's 30 or so russians in the tree line burn the tree line down (laughs) if they run out front of the tree line shoot them if they run out the back of the tree line shoot them next week like force them into areas where we know we can win firefights instead of going into areas where we can't win firefights. And there will always be more Russians waiting for us into good defensive positions than we will have Ukrainians to spare to take out those good defensive positions. And uh, so the, the night that uh, in that one of the last nights Kilo and I spoke uh, was there was an assault mission they were going on based off of the recon that we had given them, except the commander of the unit had disregarded all of the reconnaissance information we had given him. So we, we had told them that the, when we went to go take out that sniper, we were being fired at from a tree line that we knew they had planned on like taking. And I estimated like from essentially like how, where we were being shot from and like how far the tree line stretched. I was like, there's got to be at least like 30 plus people on that tree line. There's no way that there's like a small amount of like 10 or 20 people like these guys. These guys are too organized to have just left this tree line like completely defended by a small group of people like that. I think the town was the distraction and they were waiting for us to push that tree line and essentially like ambush us. Uh, but the commander had said that the the op was the assault was planned well beforehand. That uh, him and the other commanders, uh, which none of these guys are on the front line, so these are a bunch of like old guys sitting in a room with a map and with a couple of pins in it, going, "Oh yeah, you know what? Like we're gonna go through this tree line into this town and then take the town from there." Uh, they, sorry, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to sound too emotional, but 
they decided that they were going to go with their plan and that our our intel didn't make a difference to them. So they said whether there's 15 people or 50 people, like they did not give a shit. They were going to go on the assault mission that had been planned for tomorrow. Uh, they tried to say that they had armor assets who were going to assist them. But we knew how the armor assets out here worked. They'll show up, they'll fire a couple of rounds, and then or fire a couple of shells and then and leave. Like they're not going to stick around to assist if anything bigger or badder than they are comes out. And we also knew from taking fire at our OP that there was a tank in the area. We weren't sure if it was a T-72 or a T-90, but we knew it had the capability to, to move and put rounds like on target. So it wasn't like a POS tank. Like it was, it, it was doing its job and the people in it knew what they were doing. Uh, but they didn't believe us about the tank. So <laughs> they decided they were going on this assault. They were only going to bring uh, 60 guys. They they had 30 as like their, their front wave that were going through the, the actual tree line. And then they had 30 guys who were going to replace them as a QRF. Uh, or once they took the, once they expected to take the tree line, they were going to have these 30 guys sit in the actual, uh, in the areas that they had taken and relieve the other guys. Uh, I told them, like, if you guys send 30 guys in this tree line, you're fucked. Like, there, there's no way you guys are making it out. And the commander just, he didn't want to have any of it. He was like, we asked for a javelin. Uh, we had brought eight javelin batteries, which actually Bryce had brought eight javelin batteries. That dude, <laughs> uh, he, he can find anything in country. It's crazy. Uh, but he had brought them javelin batteries and chargers. We showed them that we knew how to operate the javelin. Uh, Yuri actually was the one who like caught everybody up in the unit on how to fire the javelin. Uh, so we had the capability to take out this tank if they really needed us to. And we were like, we will go to our OP. And if we see the tank coming towards you guys in the street line, like we will take it out. And this dude lost his mind on us. He was like, this is an American, this is an American military. Not everyone gets F-16 or Javelin, Suka Amerikansky, Blant Amerikansky. And we're like, bruh, like, I don't understand what you're mad at us for, like, because we won't participate in your assault. That's like a half-baked plan by people who don't know what it is, like on the front line right now. I was like, you guys have this intel. I was like, you're showing me shaky drone footage from a week ago. And I know because we used the drone footage he was showing us to figure out where we were going to set up our OP. So I was like, it's like, this isn't like current. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's We know what we're doing. Well, every, I was like the odd man out with, uh, so another guy and I were the odd man that, out like we were like we're not going like we were like not only are they underprepared for what they're going to hit out there like these dudes are going to get fucking smoked and they don't understand like if this tank comes out and starts hitting this tree line they are fucked there's nothing they can do and there's nowhere they can go because there's only one way in and one way out of this tree line without getting shot by the ukrainians because the ukrainians that were waiting like parallel to that tree line They've fired at us going to our OP before. Like, these were some trigger-happy dudes. If they saw something that looked like it had a uniform coming out of that tree line, they were going to smoke it and worry about the consequences later. So, uh, Kilo and his and the group of guys, 
all decided that they were going to go and us being the two odd men out like we were like we have a plan for this tree line just let us burn it down like we will go do it ourselves if we need to and they were just like no like we don't need you to do that we're gonna assault this uh the next morning everybody who said they were going to go with him the night before bar one person had an excuse on why they didn't want to go whether it was my foot hurt or like one person rest his soul he, he died a couple months ago uh not speak ill of the dead literally said to me like i had a dream last night that god told me to, to be humble and you know maybe it's time i take some time off yeah right and i'm just like if you guys thought the plan was shit you guys could have just backed me when i said the plan was shit <laughs> like, yeah, no shit. I was like I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna call it like i'm not gonna call the dude a liar or anything I'm, but i'm saying like we all know this is a shit plan and like we're still gonna let our guys go on this anyway like i you can't stop someone from going to their death if they want to go go to their death but you can sure as hell do your best to convince them that like the, the plan was shaky at best um and like i said i we may not have seen eye to eye uh I, I haven't said this yet but kilo and i may not have seen eye to eye all the time the dude had the biggest set of brass balls i've ever seen in my entire life and i will commend him on that like and there's very few people i like i've shed tears for even in my own life and the entire time like i went home after like after that op i was just thinking like maybe i could have done something different maybe i could have said something different to have made him not go and do what he was going to do. Uh, but they went on the, they went on the uh, assault mission and just as we predicted, they got completely wiped. Uh, the first guys that went in there, uh, a few of them were able to make it back out. Uh, they had said that the numbers that they had given them were about 14 people in the tree line. Uh, the first group of people that they came up on were so underprepared, like they they knew they had this tree line like well guarded and defended. So they were so underprepared when the first group of guys went in that they said that the first group of Russians they came on just surrendered, and the group like the group behind them started firing through their guys to hit our guys moving in and dealing with a bunch of people while who were surrendering while you're still getting shot at like there there's no way to, to be dynamic while that's happening so they were literally our guys were telling us they were throwing grenades in front of them waiting till their grenades exploded and then just moving forward or moving backwards and depending on the person who left or right of them whether they move forward or backwards so about five people or so made it out of the the tree line of uh, like walking wounded and they sent the next 30 in to back those guys up. Uh, and it wasn't to back up a retreat. It was because they still felt like they could hold that position. The, the armor had showed up. They fired a few rounds at the tree line before they pulled in with the Humvee, which was like a, a giant good morning to every single person who could possibly be in there who was going to fight. Um, so they got an early wake-up call because of the, the armor. Uh Yuri's group, uh, Yuri wasn't there at this moment, but Yuri's group, uh, the Apache group is what they called themselves, uh, had pulled in, dropped some Maduce fire, and then everybody dismounted and like kind of ran into the tree lines. And they were stuck. Like they, the only way for them to get out of this tree line was open field to the left or open field to the right. And uh, it was all, we just, 
hearing about it afterwards, I guess, I kind of wish I like I had gone like maybe maybe I could have thought fast on my feet and like figured out something to like help everybody out or had just done what my plan was anyway and burned the tree line just <laughs> and be like, oh no, the plan's fucked, we can't run through fire and fucking and backed out. But I also didn't want to end up in Ukrainian prison for going against one of the commanders. Uh, but yeah, long story short, uh, Kilo ended up being one of the guys who didn't go out with the walking wounded in the first wave of guys who went in. And he ended up dying uh, as a result of being a part of the assault into this tree line. The, uh, the other foreigner who went uh, is a guy named Israel. Uh, somehow everybody thought he was me, so I got reported dead. Uh, and then apparently Israel was still alive too, so he'd been knocked out and uh, thrown out of his trench. He said like a, a, he remembered a couple people coming to like check on him, but he just kept going like in and out of consciousness. So he just woke up one day and just walked back to like the last OB. <laughs> yeah, the but. Oh, sorry, I, that was to a, a very long way of uh, basically saying, like, I I think Ukraine could have the sustainability if the commanders listened to the people who were advising them on how to fight. We understand that this is a different type of war that that is that has ever been fought. Like, even in Iraq and Afghanistan, it wasn't until the end where, like, you really had to worry about drones. And they were never being deployed in the capability they are now, where like a single drone could take out an entire Humvee mm. full of personnel before that that Humvee even gets to the point where you could get to a fight. Like we just have, we plan for twenty percent casualties before we even get to the point where we're actually fighting, like Shit. in yeah. like small armed firefights. So you have to be prepared for loss out here. But if we change the way that they were fighting, we wouldn't have to be as worried about loss. But that's the thing about not having a uniform military. You can't just pull all of the generals into a, a meeting and say, hey, like, you guys need to stop sacrificing your guys. We don't have the personnel or the capability to keep sacrificing people. And the other thing is out here, it's not a, it's not a what you know, it's a what unit are you a part of. I know guys who are explosive experts who literally, like, who were, like, not experts per se, but they, they were doing explosives for construction companies uh, in Ukraine. And they're just a, just a regular old soldier. Like, they're, they don't have an MOS specialty. Your MOS specialty out here is you sit in trench or you're, or you're good enough to not sit in trench and you go like walk around the battlefield and figure out what's going on. Hmm. And so they, they've got this mentality that they have to fight like the Soviets. And that's why they're, they're going to lose. No one's ever been able to fight Soviet tactics against Soviets and win. It's the units that are doing things like hit and run missions, units that are thunder running or that are going in and saying like, Hey, we know the Russians have this building. Let's, stop firing all of our AT4s at this building to try and possibly take them out and just burn the building down. Like, I, I get it. Like, some of the Geneva Convention will apply to, like, certain tactics in the way to fight, but that's things that you can worry about after the war. That's not something, 
but there's no correct way to win a war against somebody who, who's not fighting a war in a way that's like I don't even know how I was going to put that, but <laughs> like Russia's not fighting this war the way that like a war should be fought by the by order of the Geneva Conventions or Geneva Suggestions, as we call them in America. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, man, I, that that was the main reason that I wanted to talk to you is because I, I want people to understand like this this guy Kilo was he was good he was he was a smart dude. But he had too much faith in the sustainability of fighting out here and joining assaults with like half baked plans. And that's where they're losing most of their guys is sitting in trenches and assaulting. And there's ways that we can go about doing this that aren't textbook like ways of, of doing it. like that. You're not going to win this war fighting out of a textbook. You're not going to win this war sitting in a back room and having plans. You need a small unit leadership. And that's something that that is ingrained in us from day one in the Marine Corps. It's like, what is what do you want to get done? If you want the Russians that are in that tree line dead, you can plan to send 60 people there to try and take out 50 plus people. Or you can burn the tree line down and shoot everybody who runs out of the tree line because, you know, none of your guys are them. And they also uh, about them being resupplied. Their intel was so bad. These guys had like brand new crates of like unopened AKs that were in their uh, in their trench. Like their their trench was a five star hotel <laughs> compared to like what the Ukrainians had on the other side. Like there was enough room where people could walk in and walk down like the line. And they had a concrete uh, like dam that was built. To, on the side of it, there was one on our side that was like a sewer system, and one on their side that was a sewer system, or like a, a waterway system. Wow! And they had used the the side of the concrete as like kind of a like a natural like wall for when they were building their their trench like system. So it was completely covered over the top. We wouldn't have seen it from the drone. Man, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. You you mentioned in there about, you know, Geneva Conventions and, you know, it ties into war crimes and how things are done. How much, you know, as, as like an American, um, you know, I, should, I shouldn't say as an American because America breaks that more than anyone else, but how much do you see that, I guess, you just think like, oh, that's not the right thing, like with treatment of POWs from, you know, from the Ukrainian side or what the Russians are doing, how much of that do you see that is not kosher? Um, let me figure out how to answer this in a way that doesn't have me in a congressional tribunal in 10 years. <laughs> uh, there's some commanders out here who treat like the Geneva Convention as a Geneva checklist. And then there's some commanders who are like by the book and will do everything the right way. Uh, it's something that has been a worry of mine since the beginning of this war. There's there's no central structure in in the military, and I don't think there's going to be because you they don't have the universal military training where they can have a central structure like we do in the U.S. It is very dependent on what your commander will do to you if you do something that you're not supposed to. Uh, there's units out here that'll torture people. 
there's units out here that will literally maim like people intentionally and leave them to die or maim or kill people that they can't take back. They'll say like, oh, we don't have enough room to take all of these guys back and shoot the ones that they that they don't think are valuable or have valuable intelligence. Right. So it's it's like I said, very dependent on on who who you're around. Like it, it's a bunch of militias all wearing the same uniform, but they all operate in in their own capacity and do what they think is best for their guys. And does that include their own people? Like, if you refuse to go on a mission or you go against something, that you could end up getting capped? Um, I've never seen someone get someone. I've never seen someone be punished for not accepting a mission. Uh, the guys that we came into that unit with were very like they 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 were there because they wanted to be there. Uh, I will say I I've, I've seen excuse me the level of punishment here, and it is very dependent on who's around and what the what whoever's in charge thinks that they can get away with, depending on whether it's our guys or their guys. Uh, for example, I can't tell you where this happened. Uh, but this was something I witnessed myself. The one of the uh, one of the soldiers in the unit uh, decided that he was going to go out past uh, what curfew was to smoke a cigarette outside. And this was like so we weren't very far from where there was active fighting happening. Maybe a fifteen minute ride from like the actual, like the, the last trench line before it became Russian territory, which our trench lines weren't even truly trench lines. But <laughs> uh, he decided he was going to smoke a cigarette and there were drones flying over. The drones flew over every night. It wasn't something that was uncommon, but people going outside to smoke past that time was uncommon. The commander uh, yoked the dude up beat the shit out of him a little bit and brought him upstairs uh, to a floor he thought that there was nobody living on. And littered and shot like four or five times like down the hallway. Like we we could hear them yelling like we didn't think like too much of it. But once we started hearing gunfire, like we were like, oh shit, like it might be Russians in this fucking building. Like everybody started like throwing off their body armor. Like at that point a missile probably could have wouldn't have even cut the tension in the building. Like we were just prepared. Um, so we start arming up our door is locked on the inside. Uh, so like, we're like, Oh, should we open the door? Should we not open the door? Like if we don't open the door and leave, like this will become a kill zone. If, if somebody comes in here. So we open the door and like, we're prepared to like to push out and like address whatever threat is going on in this hallway. And it turns out like it's just the commander, like just the guy super drunk and just yelling at one of his guys for smoking a cigarette. When I tell you like I, the guy turned and looked at us and if it hadn't been for the fact like I knew who this guy was, we probably would have fucking smoked him. 
like it, it just like the grace of God. He just happened to like turn and then just be like, oh, like we didn't realize there was anybody on on this floor. And he didn't even tell us that himself. Like he just walked off the deck. Like we were just all sitting there with this guy laying on the on the ground in like a bloody heap. And then our translator slash uh, like boss came up and was like, "Oh yeah, it's just a misunderstanding. Like the guy was smoking a cigarette while he was outside. It happens, you know, like PTSD and stuff." Yeah. Wow. Where where did the commander shoot? When you say you heard gunshots, did you just shoot near him or something? Uh, so he shot near him a couple of times and then fired into the stairwell. Uh, so that's why we were like we were wondering if it was like people coming up the stairs and like they were someone at the top of the stairs like firing back or whether it was just like somebody just lost their shit and was just shooting in the hallway. But the uh, there was a couple of impacts on the wall that was like right next to our room, and then a couple of impacts in the hallway. This is crazy, man. Yeah, I never in my life did I think I was going to see something like that. Like, it's it's just not normal. Like in, in the U.S. military, like someone would have ended up in the brig, but <laughs> they were just like, these didn't happen, Tuck. <laughs> like. Sure, bro. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And, what, and surely the treatment of, like like you said, like Russian POWs, if, if there's not enough value they see in them, they, they just kill them. Yeah. And that's kind of like where we were. Like, these guys are willing to do this to their own guys. Like, imagine what they're, what they're doing to the Russians that we haven't seen yet. I mean, it didn't really bother us too much. Like, it was kind of one of those, like, we'll just do our jobs. It's it's not until you really, like, sit back and, like, think about it and go, like, that that's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's uh, that's kind of fucked. Like, that's some, that's some shit that really would have somebody sitting in jail. But the commander was a good enough uh, – he had good enough connections that they really couldn't do anything to him anyway. Typical, yeah. And the guy – yeah, the guy who he beat the shit out of just went to the hospital the next day, got his cuts and everything, like, treated and basically got thrown on the front line again. Have, have, has there ever been a period where you've thought, I'm on the wrong side of this? Like, like you know, you, you've talked that, you know, you're like, well, I'm seeing this, the torches go down and people, like, this thing's happening, that... that there's swastikas and Nazis. And have you, have, has there ever been, like, a crossing in your mind of, like... Or maybe I'm on the wrong side, or have you been pretty firm and true to to the defense of Ukraine? Uh, never have I thought like, oh, like I'm on the wrong side of the war. I, I've had people ask me like, why uh, why choose to fight for Ukraine instead of choosing to fight for Russia? Like, what what gives me a connection to Ukraine? I'm not Ukrainian. I'm not from Ukraine. I have a couple of Ukrainian friends, but not enough to be like, oh, we're like they're not what I don't know them so well that I consider them family, uh, except aside from people I've actually met in Ukraine. Um, I just I, the most simple way to put it is just Ukraine didn't invade Russia. Russia invaded Ukraine, and regardless of how I see the Ukrainians treating the Russian captured or POWs, I'm not saying that I've I've seen much. Like I said, I'm not trying to end up in a uh, <laughs> in a tribunal, but 
the Russians are doing way worse to to their people, and it's it's very well documented the mass graves and and just randomly killing civil like people in a town. They'll take over an area and just it'll be a lottery. It'll be like, oh, well, I don't like the way this person looked at me today. Boom, like so. It's for the defense of the of the people in Ukraine. Like I'm, I'm willing to help them up until the point where they reach the Russian border. And at that point, I'm going to be like, hey, listen, like this, it's not my fight to take to Moscow. So you guys figure out what you guys want to do. And, you know, like I've, I've helped you all I can. Yeah. I even said in the beginning uh, when I was training right sector, when they were asking, like, would I go with them to go fight? I was like, yeah, up until the point where you guys go to retake Crimea. And they were like, why, why Crimea? And they were like, Crimea is Ukraine. And I was like, yeah, not according to Russia and not according to the world governments right now. So I was like, so it's, it's a whole lot different helping Ukraine stop invasion into Ukraine. It's a whole different thing to go and take back land that was taken from them in 2014. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, the, the Crimea, I think that is going to be, I think that's the big like fulcrum of this war of where support will maybe wane. I'm not too sure yet. We don't get to choose whether the guys who are out here helping them, uh, whether it's International Legion or the guys who are able to get actual Ukrainian military contracts, we don't get to choose whether we get branded as mercenaries after this or not. Like, But we do get to choose at what point we say, okay, like there's this is the point where like even if you're the best fighter in the world, like your reputation is not going to recover. This is the point where there's no way I could justify security clearance background check. If I were to ever possibly get back into doing like contract in, in getting into doing contracting work in the future. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I had another question on the, on the right sector. Um, I, know, I know some guys both on and offline who um, have had experience, you know, similarly self there. And it seems like there's a theme of, like, there's a lot to do with the CIA there. Have you seen any of that? And I even know some guys were like, I don't actually think they were in the CIA, but they were just handing out, like, the CIA coins and shit, um, that they don't actually think that they were spooks. Have you seen any of that? Um, I've, I've run into a couple of Ukrainian spooks. Uh, they're very easy to, to, like, figure out which ones uh, are spooks. The as for American guys, uh, there's this trio that I met <laughs> very early in the war. Uh, so most of the guys who were coming here to fight as foreigners, uh, they're in the beginning. You had a lot of like big name groups coming in. There were guys who were former Navy SEALs, guys who were former Force Recon, Marsoc. Those guys uh, either. Like rest their souls died very early in the war, or figured that this it wasn't sustainable to fight the way the Ukrainians were fighting and left. Some of them are still like kicking around like in other groups and stuff, and I absolutely love them because that the training that they have and the knowledge they have is still very valuable here. Uh, there's even a group of them that got together and made an, an instruction group. Mm. Um, it's very easy to tell those guys from guys who came here with a lot of money, a lot of benefactors, and have things that are not easily obtainable in this, in this country. So uh, part of the group of training the right sector, evaluating the right sector is more of what I'll call it. They had 
uh, they had basic knowledge on that. I wouldn't. They were sharing basic knowledge on things like EMS uh, tactics, like things that would definitely help and could get them into the roles of being instructors. But one guy was like kind of a tall, nerdy dude with glasses. Said that he was uh, non-military. That he had just been uh, what's all? He worked for a training company. Uh, other dudes um, it looked exactly what you would expect, like the poster child of the French Foreign Legion to look like, and was like, "Yeah, I'm French Foreign Legion." Uh, and then the, the last guy that was with them was uh, he. He said he was air- airborne, or, or he was a ranger, and he. Uh, I forget what his background was, but it wasn't anything special. He said he'd been contracting for like the last 15 years and was just familiar with Ukraine and uh, familiar with fighting from the U.S. military. So he was like, yeah, so we just came out here to train. These dudes had their own M4s, had their own like sidearms, had a Dodge Ram 1500 that was a 2022 Dodge Ram 1500 that was kitted out. So I'm like, there's no way that you guys just showed up and like got handed all of these things. Like, that's not a hundred thousand Rivna vehicle right there. That's like a million Rivna vehicle yeah. that you're driving. You can't even like at the time like they were handing M4s out like candies to their own guys, but the it was it was hard to get an M4 and ACOG in the in the very beginning of this war. And for sidearms, like there's, you're just not carrying a sidearm in Ukraine unless you're somebody who's important or you've got a black market guy on the, on the side who can get you on. Even now, uh, one of the biggest issues I have in Ukraine is that I, I build guns at home. I can't buy an AR off the shelf here. Like I, I can't even build an AR out here. So I'm getting like they, they have this using C Brens, which everybody thinks is the best weapon in the world. And that thing won't feed three magazines reliably once it gets dirt in the actual chamber. Right. Yep. And so like, it's, if I could build my own AR out here and convince the Ukrainian government to like, Hey, like foreigners who hold military contracts should be able to go into a, a store and buy a firearm. Like you guys are going to have us do a psych eval and, or, or get citizenship. And I was like, it's not going to change the fact that like, we still have to fight. Like, I don't have time to, to be arguing with someone about whether I'm crazy or not. Like I'm, I became a Marine, of course, I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, it's, there's definitely been some guys out here who their resumes were either, they weren't telling the whole story or they were, uh, vastly underselling intentionally like these guys just gave off the fact that they were working for somebody else and they're the fact that like they all look like the cookie cutter like version of whatever they said they were it's like someone someone can go into a book and be like oh this is how a marine looks dress dresses and this is what a marine wears and study that and pass in a group of marines like fairly fairly easily these guys look like that's what they did. They researched exactly what they needed to, to know to be able to convince other people that they were just just as good as they said they were and not anything better. 
Yeah, that that yeah, I, I definitely understand that. It's like that. There's a meme about like undercover cops at like a festival trying to get drugs, and it's like, hello, fellow teenagers, <laughs> just like pants pulled down low and a fucking tight eye shirt on, and you're like, a fucking yeah, obvious. I get that, and, yeah. but it seems to be. It seems that a lot of the guys I know who've had dealings with around the right sector is where they tend to run into these guys. Yep. Yeah, weird. And I have a feeling it's because of it. It's those groups like they. They're checking to see like what what these groups are being given, uh, if these groups are going to possibly be a threat in the future, things like that. Yeah, right. And when where are you serving now? If if you can say like who who with? Uh, so right now we're with the Belarusian Volunteer Battalion. Uh, it's a lot of the stuff out here, not really frontline work, but in the rear has come to like a grinding halt because of the investigations that are going on with the gore. I was talking about uh, running into, uh, what's it called? The high level fed boys or we ran into actual <laughs> FBI guys in, uh, in Kiev when I came back to uh, join this group. <laughs> I was just like, uh, what you guys doing here? And they're like, not investigating you guys. And we we're like, okay, have oh, a nice shit. day. No, so like, Actual Back FBI guys in Keith. <laughs> yeah, I was like, God damn! Like, <laughs> they were, they were like, oh, so you guys, uh, foreign volunteers too, like humanitarian aid, and they're like, no, but what kind of humanitarian aid are you doing? <laughs> I was oh, like, um, anti-humanitarian kind. <laughs> and they were like, no, nah, we're we're with the FBI, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Well, there's definitely going to be some financial crimes that I guess they're, they're investigating out here or something or assisting in investigating. Yeah, there's a fucking lot of that, man. Yeah, kind of played right into, like, the gore coming to a screaming halt, like, a week later. Uh, was all, apparently, they fired all of their uh, their recruiters, and now they're, they're getting recruiters. <laughs> fucking wild, man. Yeah. yeah. And how much like corruption have you come across like like that of things going missing, money going missing, weapons? Uh, so the lovely commander that I told you about, the one who was uh, shooting at one of his own subordinates, uh, that's probably the most corrupt person I've ever run into, like just morally, like financially. I mean, this dude would walk in with like brand new three three eight Lapuas. And like set them in like his locker room, and then like walk in with a hooker like thirty minutes later. <laughs> He'd be like, "No, no, she she just does a massage." Like, bruh, we we can hear those sounds. That ain't no massage sounds. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that we we've had people walk like we had the reason we started locking our door from the inside, like while we were sleeping and we had a lock on the outside for when we were leaving is because our commander would literally, uh, not the same guy, but a different guy would walk into our room, just pick up like whatever he thought was valuable and just go sell it or go trade it for something else. Like we've had weapons that we put our, like it was a, like a uh, given weapon from the unit. So like an AK or something and we kicked them out to make it like our, our piece that we would carry out. And next day we come into the room and it's, it's missing. And when you can ask all you want, but unless you have somebody sitting, sitting there like watching your gear, or unless you have a lock on the room, your, your stuff could get taken. Uh, 
corruption is, is just a thing in Ukraine uh, in general, by the way. It's, it's not specific to any section or any person. Uh, if you want to get something, there's the direct way to go about it, and then there's the indirect way to go about it. And 90% of the time, the, indir- the direct way is so backed up by people trying to do it the direct way that people will tell you, like, Give me, give me five thousand rivnum. <laughs> you give them five thousand rivnum, and they can give you whatever you need. Sorry, what I was going to ask was, how have you found that this counteroffensive is going? Like, what's the feeling about it, and, and where do you think that that'll end up? So, I have not participated in the counteroffensive. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned I went home for about six months and then came back uh, to join the unit that I'm with now. Yep. Uh, I will say if they're still using the same tactics they were before, I can I can see why their counteroffensive isn't going as well as as it could be, but in a way that's also kind of helping Ukraine because now we see that the especially uh, in Chernobyl and they have uh, a training group uh, run by uh, pretty. It's not run by him, but it's a pretty famous YouTuber is out there with them, Sivdiv. Uh, yep. And they're now sending their guys to go get actual training. Their medics aren't just, a, oh, I sat through a two-hour class and now I'm a medic. They're, uh, what's called, they're assault teams, they're drone teams. They're learning to coordinate with each other to actually make the individual skills they have uniform. And that's what they need more than being able to just punch through Russian lines immediately because there's no point in them punching through these lines if they can't hold them. And having a skill set that makes you dangerous to get involved with will help you hold those lines. Yeah. No, Max, no, I'm, um, I actually know Civdiv uh, personally and, and the TDI team doing um, that training as well. Yeah. Mate. Look, um, is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd that you'd like to talk about or mention? Anything off the top of your head? Um, I just think that uh, it would be really awesome for if we could get people who fought out here together as a large group and address some of the issues that we've come into contact, like coming into contact with out here. Uh, one of the biggest issues that we are having out here like currently for every single foreigner i've talked to is finding reliable vehicles from to use not just on the front line but even in the rear for logistics uh, the finding reliable or getting the ukrainian leveraging the ukrainian government to allow foreigners who are fighting here to be able to do things like purchase their own weapons. I mean, $3,000 is nothing for us to spend in the States. $3,000 here gets you a decent weapon. And us relying on unit weapons, like for people who know what they're doing, it's like we're, we're being, we're on the back end of, of like what's good in, in the units. And I, I'll, I would tell them like, prioritize your guys. Like Some of us don't mind spending our own money to have uh, like a little bit nicer of a thing than, what everybody else is carrying but if we're not given the opportunity to to kit out our own weapons or to buy our own weapons to kit out then we're we're not an asset to you like anybody can run a stock ak it doesn't mean you can run a stock ak well 
Uh, but if I'm shooting, even if it's an AR-15 or like without full auto, most of us don't use full auto, but unless we absolutely have to, uh, and that's what our machine gunners are for. <laughs> um, but yeah, like an AR-15 would be invaluable to like 90% of us who are, who are fighting. And it's because it's a weapon system and platform we know, but we can't get them. And there's no one up the government's ass right now, essentially telling like, the Ukrainian government, hey, you've got people here who are good. They just need these things. And they're willing to buy them themselves. You just have to make the process for them to get them easier. As well as getting the pay sorted out, because that's something that I guess uh, everybody's running into. This isn't my primary primary source of income, so it hasn't really affected me as much. But I do know a lot of people who were really good at what they did, who ended up having to leave because they were just going in debt, like trying to help Ukraine. And it's like they you you'd promise they get like promise pay or and not get it, or if they made too much of a big deal about pay, they would end up like not doing the missions that they had set out to originally and end up someplace whacking mines or just doing the most dangerous missions that are in the area because that's what they would be assigned to after they brought up that they weren't going to work unless they were actually getting paid. Yeah, oh, that, that seems like everyone I speak to is like no one's getting paid or no one's getting paid fucking correctly. And that they're, we don't, like, I don't want it to sound like them losing Western assistance if they don't get these things sorted out, but it would definitely help with a lot of Western assistance if they did. Uh, if they made if they made it easy like to get vehicles from the states into Ukraine or even like European vehicles aren't really the greatest for the roads that Europe has, which is crazy. Like you would think that you live in Europe, you want to have pickup trucks, right? Because <laughs> like you've got a lot of like valleys and hills, you've got a lot of air, like farmland, but no, these people just don't believe in like <laughs> a Dodge Ram. <laughs> like, yeah. And the ones that are here aren't like a second gen Dodge Ram that I can just like drive through the woods and not have to worry about. It's like a newer Dodge Ram where like you tap a tree the wrong way and you've got to spend like five years <laughs> knocking out the body work to, <laughs> to get it back to being functional. So if the, what's all, if any American company like who's either into restoring like old pickup trucks or uh, old cars, uh, anything that they could send over or get sent over as an NGO to Ukraine it would vastly help. Europe is drying up when it comes to usable vehicles and sustainable vehicles. And that's something that we have an abundance of in the United States. There's more vehicles that we have sitting in, uh, what's it called, in junkyards that would be assets to this war that like, Europe will never be able to get in a million years yeah. because they just don't believe in the same things we believe in when it comes to these vehicles. Yeah, same as the Aussies, mate. Australians just fucking every second person's got a Land Cruiser. That's that's what you need there. <laughs> yeah, mate. Well, look, mate. I really, I really do appreciate your time and your honesty um, with everything. Like I said, man, I just appreciate you giving me giving me the soapbox to stand on. <laughs> uh, like I said, I've, I've watched you for pretty much since the beginning of uh, you doing podcasts uh, when you got back to the states or when you got to the States and it's just 
Like it's, it was crazy. Uh, just to see somebody else who's going, who went through some of the things that I went through and like knowing that like, you're not the only person who sees the problems or the issues or believes in the tactics you believe in. It, it makes a big difference. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. Well, dude, thank you for everything. Um, fucking look after yourself and, and definitely, man, we'll, um, we'll keep you, keep in touch both on and offline and you're always, you, your boys, you're always welcome to, um, come on and chat to me and, you know, soapbox, whatever, you're always welcome. Thank you, brother. Uh, I'm going to send you some pictures of, uh, of Kilo, uh, that if you could just pin up and, you know, let people know like this, this guy was, he was good at what he what he did you know didn't always make the best decisions but you'll never find somebody else in in this world or i i don't know if i'll ever find somebody else in the world who have like as big of a set of brass balls as this kid had yeah mate look and yeah absolutely anything you want of um of him just just let us know bro appreciate it easy dude well i appreciate your time i'll, I'll speak to you soon brother all right be easy stay blessed man okay see you bro